This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. My alarm went off at 5.30 a.m., way earlier than I'm used to. I rolled over and I hit snooze. And then 10 minutes later, my alarm went off again. This time, I turned the alarm off, and I sent a text to my buddy Tyler. You up? I asked. I hate you, he responded. It was Sunday morning. It was his one day off, and instead of sleeping in, I was picking him up at 6 a.m. and dragging him down to Thousand Oaks with me so he could record my interview with Eric Winalda. And on the way out of town, we stopped by the donut shop, and then we picked up our friend Gabe from the grocery store parking lot across the street. And that might sound like a random 6 a.m. occurrence, but it was actually planned. Gabe and I grew up playing soccer together. His dad and I actually coached together at one point. And his younger brother, um, ironically, was my personal trainer for a while. But Gabe is a big-time U.S. soccer fan, and he's actually president of the local American Outlaws chapter. And he has been a supporter of my podcast, and I've done my best to show up at his AO watch parties. So... It was really no surprise when I asked him if he wanted to go with me that his response was, and I quote, so down. (laughs) But uh, it took us about two hours to get to the location that Eric Winalda chose for the interview. It was a bar called Crown and Anchor. And Manchester City was playing on almost every single TV in the place when we arrived. So all three of us walked in and we all found a seat at the bar. Tyler and I ordered coffee. Let's keep in mind it's 8.30 in the morning. And... Gabe ordered a Guinness (laughs) and uh, we sat there we watched a little bit of the game Uh, Tyler uh, went to go scout out a spot for the actual interview that we were going to do with Eric and I'm pretty sure Tyler loaded his coffee up with cream and sugar but never even took a sip he just got so distracted by trying to find the perfect spot in the bar Um, and he was bringing in equipment and and at first the server and the bartender seemed a little wary of us doing an interview in their bar and we'd kind of picked out this spot in the corner that had the best lighting and they're like yeah I mean I guess you guys will probably be okay over there so I mean I'll admit I was a little bit nervous at first because I I didn't know who these people were I'd never been to this bar I didn't know if Eric had ever been to this bar I I just didn't know anything so I was a little bit nervous like all right well how's this gonna work out and then Eric walked in and he didn't just walk in though he walked in like he owned the damn place he shook hands and and hugged everybody he saw or everyone that he saw on his way up to the bar and he's wearing a nice suit and just his whole demeanor and his attitude and everything about him and it was just it was just if I had to describe him like in that moment I I guess I would have to describe him as presidential ironically um but the the lady behind the bar looked at me and asked, you're, you're interviewing this guy? And she pointed at Eric with a, kind of a smile on her face, and that's why I knew everything was going to be fine. Uh, we moved over towards the booth. We moved away from the bar, moved over towards the booth, and, and Eric ordered eggs and white toast. We each finished a cup of coffee, and we chatted and went over some pre-interview stuff. Tyler, Gabe, and Eric's producer, actually Nick, sat in the booth that was next to us, and they had all of the audio and video gear. And after about 20 minutes of some small talk, the server came by and topped off our coffees. The guys clicked record and a conversation about promotion relegation, a proper pyramid, 
some shady nomination and bylaw antics, and both of our desires to fix U.S. soccer ensued. And we recorded for about an hour. The cool part was, was I mean, the, the, inter- the interview is cool, and, and there's a lot of very, very good information that you guys are going get, to get to hear. But one thing that I thought was super cool is that after we stopped recording, and his producer Nick took off. He had to go to his son's game in Pasadena. After we'd stopped, and Eric had kind of fulfilled his commitment to do the interview with me, but he stuck around for another hour, and he just hung out with us. And it was super cool, and he told us stories about his time in Germany and some other experiences that he's had in U.S. soccer that have played a big part in why he decided to run for president. And I couldn't help but smile when I realized that I was sitting in a booth drinking coffee and having a chat with someone who could very well be the most powerful man in American soccer in just a few months' time. And I was also smiling because Eric was saying things that I believe in. Things like unlocking our country's true potential. Things like having a system that is built to include, not exclude, the majority of America. Things like allowing players to be different and to show their real identities and cultures and flavors on the field instead of just being robots. And those are all things that made me gravitate towards 343 years ago because no one else was saying those types of things. And that's why I'm so proud to put on a 343 shirt because those things are what 343 represents. And that's why I'm super proud to have recorded a conversation with someone like Eric who sees soccer the same way that I do and sees the same potential in American soccer that I do. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Eric Winalda. But before we get into it, just a quick reminder, this podcast and all of the 343 podcasts are brought to you by 343coaching.com. And 343coaching.com is a -a one-of-a-kind online soccer education program with members nationwide. 343coaching.com has a free seven-week coaching course. We have over 200 written articles, videos of our coaches, players, and teams in action. And you can find more episodes of this podcast on the site as well. And by the way, if you have a minute, drop us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher if if you could be so kind. All right, that's it. Here we go. Enjoy this episode with Eric Winalda. Yeah, before we actually... uh I guess start. I guess we've already started. Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm planning on I'm turning this into like podcast format, so it's going to go out on, okay. on my podcast. So maybe I'll introduce I, it just like I normally fine, would. Fine, sure. Yeah. Um, you guys are all good? Yeah. Yeah, Gabe, you have your camera ready? <laughs> all right. Um, I'll try not to drop the mic. I'll try not to drop the F-bomb. <laughs> I can't anymore. I, 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 that's, that's part of the deal. Um, all right. Well... This is actually the second live edition of the 343 podcast that I've ever done. The first one was with uh, Brian Kleiben, an LA Galaxy Academy coach. I don't know if you oh, know, cool. if you yes. know Brian. Um, and then my second interview with you, actually. So we talked maybe, I think, two years ago was what we just came up with. Um, and it was a funny interview. You are actually getting ready to, I think you were in the process of dropping all your kids off at school. And I just dropped them off. I remember this. Yeah. And I... I I had gotten home and um, my wife was waiting for me and so I'm sure I had a, a lot of stuff to do. I do remember at one point we were talking, she came out of the house and gave me one of these. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I had to wave her off. You wouldn't have known that, yeah. but um, I do remember that. I think yeah. it was, a, the, we talked a lot about Atlanta, I think, yep. a lot about uh, Cal FC and 
uh, adult soccer, amateur soccer. So yeah. I remember it well. And a lot's happened since then. Yes. <laughs> so the the I guess the big the big reason for the interview is you're now running for U.S. Soccer President. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think people do know about your campaign and the process, but I think there's a lot of things that people don't know about, and I'm hoping to kind of get Good. into the, get into the weeds with you today about that that stuff. Nothing is off limits. Yeah. Ask away. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I guess where I want to start is you made you made a comment. I think it was maybe the day after the the loss with Trinidad and Tobago when you went on Dan Patrick's show. Yeah. And it was about this is this. What we're experiencing now in U.S. soccer is a culmination of an underlying problem yep. that's been happening for 20-plus years. And Dan, Dan didn't follow up with you about that. He moved on to the next question right he after. Did, yeah. And I was right away wondering, what do you mean, Eric? Right. So what do you mean that what we're experiencing now is the, the culmination of an underlying problem? Well, I, I think um, the majority of the, the, the issues that we have today as a soccer nation is we have we've seen exponential growth and but it's really unexplained and it's sometimes it's it's not appropriate growth but we celebrate it we assume that this is a good thing that um, there are clubs and and organizations all working against each other but we're supposed to be on the same team and we're trying to figure out a way to become a better soccer nation and I think my might have been my quote in that that uh, uh, that comment was is that we don't have a soccer pyramid we have a tree and and, and the tree just instead of growing it, well being a pyramid everyone has a direction and an idea of where they're going or where the light at the end of the tunnel is or where they fit in exactly and or their function is anything it, there is no real cohesive uh, energy it's it's just boom there it is so this tree We'll, we'll go with the grassroots, starts to grow, and it starts to grow in different directions. And the only time that we complain is that when this branch over here doesn't produce a leaf. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason for that, because we, we've lost our way. Um, you, when, you, when you've had the experiences that I've had, uh, not just playing in, in, in this country or going through a youth system um, along with Kobe Jones, we live right down the street here. <laughs> I still, I mean, that's still two kids that went to the same high school to play in a World Cup together twice is, is kind of a big deal. You and Kobe? Yeah, and it's, awesome. it's something that, that you know, we, we don't really think about anymore. We, we do things differently. But I, I think that, that when I say that is because I, my frustrations, not just with the national team program and that 1%, is the realities of w what is happening to our kids and how much of an onus we've put on coaching. Uh, and sometimes we've overcoached. Sometimes we've suck the, the, the creativity out of our kids way too early. Sometimes we've overdone it. We've gone to five or six tournaments a year and played 30 games that probably are the reason why you're you know, gonna have to visit the doctor when your kid blows his knee out or her knee out because they've played too many games. We don't do things the right way. We've created our own way of doing things at the professional level, meaning uh, we have a single entity and we can go into that argument later, but the fact that we do things so different from the rest of the world is now kind of rearing its ugly head and showing us that, okay, it was great. It, was, it had its novelty to it. But the truth is that historical perspective will help us be a better soccer nation, but we're not paying attention to that. So we have to find our place uh, in, in, in this world, not create this island. 
So is, is creating some type of a functional <coughs> pyramid like high on your priority list? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, not just on the professional level, we are the only country on the planet which has two functioning second divisions. Think about that for a second. Think about how is that any different than what has been created at the youth level? So we have kids today who are told that they have to play for a club, but they can't play in that tournament unless they're carded with a different organization. Mm -hmm. But the end goal is to be a part of an academy system, which is over here doing its own thing, and the heartstrings are being played. You don't know where you're supposed to go. And mm -hmm. even at, at the end of it all, whether you've played for one, two, three, or all four of these clubs or these situations, what's your end goal? Do you know? Is it to go to college? Is it to, to be a professional? Um, that confusion uh, is, is, is created a, an element of stagnation in this country that not, is this totally and completely misunderstood. Uh, the, I'll go back to the Christian Pulisic 60-minute um, interview where his parents were interviewed and they said, well, you must have done this and you must have done that. You must have played a lot of games. He said, no, we, we played it. We had practice on Tuesday and practice on Thursday and we had a game on Saturday. And that's how we did things. And what that means is, in, in, certain, in a certain reality, and you and I spoke about this before, is that when our kids play in tournaments, and they play five games in a weekend, our producer today, or, uh, Nick, is, is, <laughs> is right in the middle of this. He has a tournament where he has to get to, which is the fourth or fifth game of that tournament. What that means is this, his child is overdone, spent. Mm -hmm but they have to somehow conjure up the energy to play in a final. Mm -hmm. One, that's dangerous. Uh, two, what you need to understand is if this was their opportunity to be seen, they've paced themselves through this entire mm -hmm. tournament. Nobody has maximized their effort at any point in this tournament. That is conducive to mediocrity. Our kids are never really pushing it all the way to where they can, and the competitive nature uh, that we've, this, this system that we've created uh, is perpetuating the problem. So it's, it's, it's been going on for a long time. It, I don't know about 20 years, maybe it, <laughs> felt, it feels like a couple decades, but I, I've said that in the past that I've sat back, I've watched, I'm a parent, uh, I've coached, I've refereed, I've been involved, and I don't think it's getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. And that's a terrible thing to be at this stage where we're celebrating growth and thinking that things are getting better mm. when the reality is is that we're digressing. I think I think an overlooked aspect of a pyramid is is a roadmap. It provides a roadmap for right. people, and people want to focus on yeah oh like what about the investment that's been made in and the top levels of, of U.S. soccer and, and M, or MLS and right. and whatnot. But they forget about the roadmap that it creates for everybody else beneath that, and that's that seems to be exactly what we're now, missing. Now, are we talking about the the idea of promotion and relegation, or are we talking about the idea of just understanding a first, second, third, fourth tiered Bo system. Both, but I think I think those two ideas are married. So I, think, I agree. Yeah. So I, and I think that's what people fail to kind of connect those two dots. That, right. That you can't really do one without the other, and they help each other. They play off of each other. Right. So. I read a great article this morning at four o'clock. By the way, John Townsend. <laughs> uh, I hit him on Twitter immediately, and I just and John Townsend on Twitter. Find him. He wrote an unbelievable um, article this morning, or he, I don't know when he wrote it, but. It really puts things into perspective, mm -hmm. and it's a detailed account of why this is happening, mm -hmm. why we, uh, as a soccer nation, are 
or misguided. We're mis we misunderstand what our function is within, and our kids are confused. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 very clear to me. Mm -hmm. Now, having structure and having uh, you know the the ability to have people understand exactly what the light of the, at the end of the tunnel is, mm -hmm. whatever that might be, at least there's a direction. Right now, it's just a game happens, and then it, another one happens, and yeah. another one happens, and we're not entirely sure of what exactly has transpired. I mean, it's 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 it it sounds really complicated because it is, yeah. and the idea that that uh, behind all of this, and the reason maybe why I made this decision to run is because I think structure and the simplicity of, of the way it should be uh, needs to be implemented. We need to have an execution plan here or we're going to continue down the wrong road. When would change, so I think maybe we were talking about this before and I need to kind of organize my thoughts. So what did we talk about? Happens to me all the time, yeah, yeah. by the way. <laughs> we, were, we were talking about how maybe your campaign is kind of based on change yeah. and your you have ideas, and, and you're kind of open to new ideas. Well, actually, I'm, I'm open to the ideas that work. Yeah. And I think, going back to that historical perspective component of it, there are, you know, the functioning leagues in, on the planet right now, if you, if you really do your homework and you study, okay, what works? Um, and there's some irony at the back end of this, but mm -hmm. I, I think that, that we have decided to do things in our own way. Um, and when we've you, decided that though correct we, yeah, we okay. said this yeah. is the way we're going to do things yeah. we're not going to be we're going to create our own calendar Absolutely. we're going to create our own roadmap um, and we've almost as if to say to FIFA that's great that that's the way you want us to do things because that's where everybody else is doing mm -hmm. things we're American we're going to Americanize this thing we're, so leave us alone yeah. and essentially they have to, to, to a certain extent but in the immediate component of that, like in the 96, 7, 8, and we, and we almost fell apart in 2000, um, if it weren't for some pretty savvy moves, to be honest, from um, Major League Soccer and Don Garvey, needs to get credit for that. The reality was is we were going to go away in a hurry, and we were able to regroup, and we created a business plan, which was essentially that. It was a business plan. Mm -hmm. It really didn't have much to do with the product. Mm -hmm. And the product was the secondary component of this. It was build the stadium, build the theater, build the... Be, the, the uh, these, these stadiums and it'll just all make sense yeah. and much later they came into the, um, the idea that alright what do we do about our coaching what do we do about our but the truth is is that it's going to be very complicated very problematic if, this, if we continue to go on the wrong calendar and I've been an advocate of that I, I think that when people understand the realities of that uh, what exactly that means to be on the European calendar. What does that mean for our players? What does that mean for the visibility of our league? What does that mean for the commercial dollars? The opportunity of, of, of um, uh, engaging in a global uh, transfer market. All these things matter. All these things matter. What, what's going to happen, and this is the part I hate, if I fail to get elected, what will happen is that all of our players, all of them that are showing talent, at the age of 15, 16, and 17, will continue to explore their options overseas simply because they'll know that the way that we do things here is not conducive to good business. That we call ourselves great businessmen. We really do. I love this when, when we say, oh, the business of soccer is, is, is doing wonderfully. No, it's not. It's nowhere near. We've never engaged in the real business of soccer at all. Yeah, but, we're, but we're sitting, but we've created our own business plan that we're celebrating 
but it certainly is not conducive uh, to the development of our players or to this country getting any better in a hurry uh, in this sport. So being kind of like that candidate of change or new ideas or, or old ideas that work elsewhere. Logic. We, yeah. Um, you, you obviously can't come in on day one and say, okay, here's what's changing and it's going to change tomorrow. What, what would be realistic expectations for, for change or what would be a realistic plan for you? Well, I, 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 I love how these campaigns work and I understand how they work. Um, a lot of people will come at you with the 2026 plan, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. we got eight years to figure this out. How sick are you of that? How sick is this country of being told that we're going to figure this out in the next 10 years? Just hang in there. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of it. I remember the 2010 plan. How did that go? Didn't go particularly well. We don't have to sit here and, and when somebody does that, okay, you, you need to understand when somebody says that we need four years to figure this out, or we need eight years for that matter, that's just them trying to buy time. Mm -hmm. That's that's not real. But for lack of a better word, you're you're being lied to because mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. Realistically speaking, eight months gets this gets this all back on track. Mm -hmm. Eight months, mm -hmm. not eight years. If you are able to, to facilitate a, a climate that makes sense at a professional level, that's one thing. Getting cooperation out of our organizations at the youth level, having a better understanding of, okay, what is an academy? Mm -hmm. Academies are not one, two, three, four, five, six teams in one club at an academy. That is not the best players you have in your club. That makes zero sense. That's a money grab, and you're not fooling anybody. It's the, these are the kind of things that, that have happened in this country where we have essentially been our own worst enemy. Where we say that we're developing or we're putting money into something, you can throw all the money you want into, into, the, in, into the wrong idea and, it, and it's not going to do any good. And that's what's been happening. And you've, you've done a really good job of getting out and talking to youth organizations and adult organizations yeah. and, and, and important people. In U.S. soccer, people that vote, people that vote, yeah, that's that's important. <laughs> that's it's how it very works. Important. Yeah, but they're uh, they're important. <laughs> it's not they're important because they vote. They, it's it's important because these are the people that make soccer happen in yeah, this country. Exactly. And they've kind of been lost in the shuffle to a certain extent. Going back to your conversations with with people involved in youth soccer and adult soccer and, and people really in, in like the grassroots or the bottom. The, 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 yeah, I don't want to say the, the foundation. Level. Yeah, the foundation. Bottom, sung and bad. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it happens. <laughs> what, what are some of the common themes that you're getting from, from them, or what are some of the ideas that you're getting from them that they, they have interest in? Well, I, I think the fragmentation uh, of, of, of not, just not a clear understanding of, of how this, you know, as parents, you know, and, and I, I don't think a lot has been done to educate from the very beginning, yeah. uh, the, the parents. What, yeah. what, did, what did you I just get into? Yeah. That conversation needs to come from the federation. They need to start that conversation themselves. They need to be what a federation is supposed to do, and that's to serve people. And what that means is to help and to assist. And in, in, they don't do a very good job of that right now. What happens is they let you get about till you're 10 or 11 and 12, or your child is 10 or 11, and then they flash the badge and say, all right, ready to spend some real money? And then that's their inclusion into yeah. how this works. And those kids basically are now told, no, 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 no. You've been doing this all wrong. That, they, they, look, some of the clubs out there and some of the organizations that I've met with, they're not doing it wrong. All they're doing is trying to facilitate games and allow those kids to have a personality. Mm -hmm. The Federation's idea right now, if we're being blunt and we're being honest, is to, to glom it all together, 
create the academy systems so that we were all, it's just one big factory of robots. And that is not who we are. That is not the culture that we need to create. That is an elitist system that will never create an, an elite player. I think the state associations have figured that out. I think they've, they've, they said, look, you know, we, you know, go back 10 years ago, it kind of made sense the way that we did things. And it, it, it had a better direction to it. Um, now it's so fragmented that you don't know as a parent what is, the, what is best, and then somebody tells you, no, 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 you have to sign up for the academy or your kid will never have a chance. It doesn't make it any easier for those scouts. Those scouts aren't acting any different than they would have uh, 10 years ago. And there's the same number of games that yeah. they have to go to. It, just because you're now in an academy system does not mean that you have a better chance than, than, than somebody. And that this is where the, the real talent gets lost. Yep. And this, now, is, this is what I'm thinking right now in my head. Well, because, you know, look, there's a couple of kids that, that, that uh, through circumstances in life, that they're, they're different than somebody who can afford this, mm -hmm. um, that they are, they're not given the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. I, I've been, very recently, I went out to Oxnard to see what is called the Agricultural League, which is not sanctioned with Federation, and it's not, they register their players on their own. And Youth it is or a, adult? Uh, it's adult, but okay. look... In these situations, you, you, you see the, the, the youth component of it as well, yeah. that these kids uh, can play, and they're not in our system. And I would, I, I, you, know, you don't want to say, look, I told you so, but I, I could clearly see that if, if this was the youth and it was the 16-year-old kids, um, that probably maybe their grades didn't, didn't work out in high school, and that's the mm -hmm. only place they're playing, guess mm -hmm. what, because they can't afford yep. to play in club. Yep. But the kids that do play in high school, what happens with our scouts is they'll go watch the game and they'll evaluate the game on the worst player out there. Does that make sense? Yep. So they'll watch the game and the right back and the left midfielder aren't very good and the scout will then say that defines the game. Yeah. And then there's a kid out there who's clearly talented who gets, who loses that opportunity because you know the, the scout's left 20 minutes into the game. Yeah. Or and there's plenty of stories that would validate this, but there are real scouts that will call the Manchester Uniteds and the Chelsea's of the world and say, get on a plane, I need you to watch a high school game. And they go. Yeah. And they actually see a, a real player, as opposed to, no, 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 if they're not Division One, I'm not coming. If they're not in the academy system, I'm not bothering. That's a mistake. I can go a million different directions right now. because I just did, so yeah, go ahead, feel free. Two thoughts that came to mind is, the system that we have in place at the at the youth level, the academy system, and, and U.S. soccer kind of, yeah, putting everybody inside of a bubble, mm -hmm. uh, it removes like one I think crucial ingredient to scouting talent is that the the, the talent can't talk based on merit, right. so you're no longer allowing those kids to kind of showcase their their skills based on just winning themselves to the top. So it's like even at the at the youth level, promotion relegation is missing. Mm -hmm. And it and it's leaving people out because if that agricultural league, if they had some stars and you know they they could take their if, team if with them. If you put a group of sixteen year olds and you played them against our academy, that little small little yeah, group yeah. out of Ventura, I don't uh, doubt it. I, it. I don't think it would be much of a game. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And and there there is an edge to them. There's there's a flavor. It, well, they've got personality. Yeah. They've never been told what not to do. They've mm -hmm. been you know they've they've simply because of their age, they've, they've gotten to a point where they've been allowed to, exp to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And there's a beauty to that. Um, 
when you you really try and evaluate talent, that's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. And if we go back maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, we were still experiencing the same kind of issues because we were always oh, to this, he's to that. I was to this, I was to that. I never even made my district team here locally. Mm -hmm. I tried out for the district team. The only the reason why I ever got discovered was Ziggy Schmidt, who showed up at a high school tournament in 1986 and said, that kid, not bad. Where's your dad? I'm the state team coach. Um, and, I, you know, and I said, well, I didn't make my, my district team. And he said, well, I'm the state team coach. You just did. Where's your dad? He's jumped a level. And that's, <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't really happen anymore. And there's a, maybe there's a, you know, we've tried to simplify it for ourselves. Like, okay, look, let's just figure out a way to get the academy games, and I'll go to those, and I'll evaluate the players, and then we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. But there's so many games that happen that get lost, and Absolutely. there's so many games that we don't, we don't see. I want to kind of get back to your campaign and, and maybe the reasons why you're actually going for this, this position of U.S. soccer president. And you've said, I think in multiple interviews, that, that you believe you're the only person that can do this job. Why do you think that? Well, I believe I'm the only person. I think I'm the only one who um, had the audacity to stand up and say enough's enough. I think there's there's other candidates that are running that are possibly an extension of the establishment. Um, I think there are other ones that are doing this possibly for a publicity stunt. I don't know. I don't know if, if what their ideas are, but I do know that, that if you're going to do this job, you have, to, you have to have several qualities, and that is leadership, first and foremost. The ability to bring people together. Uh, you need to be a moderator and a mediator in all of this. But, but some of these, these situations uh, at the youth level need cooperation, and they need someone with real soccer knowledge who can say, look, this is what we need to do. This is the reasons why it's failing, and this is um, how we're going to make it better in a hurry. You can hear my phone ringing, can't you? Yeah, no, all right, I'm going to have to turn it off. I'm going to have to turn it off. Of You're course, it's, uh, it's somebody important. I'm going to have to wait. That's what live is all about, right? Um, but look, I, I, I understand that, that, that people could even maybe challenge my business acumen in all of this. Now, the truth is, I would argue that we haven't done the, the business right. Mm -hmm. We're celebrating a business that we're not even engaging in. Mm -hmm. Um, the other part of it is, is which is I find is somewhat ironic, is, is that over the course of the last three or four years, the money that has come into the Federation have come in five different buckets. But the reality is it's come all from television or a national team. Mm -hmm. What are the two things that I know yeah. better than anything? Yeah. What do some of these other candidates know about television and how rights are negotiated and how much money comes in and how television mm -hmm. revenue. My, argu my argument to Major League Soccer is need it, we need a better television deal. They think it's great. I think it doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I think you can get more money uh, with, with a, a different plan and a different schedule. But it's the, the business of it, if we are really being honest, when that money comes in, 84% of it comes through the national teams, both on the men and the women, and television. That's where our money is coming from. Now, there are small little pieces of it, and this is all that anybody's talking about right now when that comes to maybe the refereeing situation, which is another form of, of manipulation on the Federation standpoint. Maybe that's coaching. Maybe that's the registration, which has not gone up at all in 10 years. Mm -hmm. It was 5 million registered players 10 years ago. It's 
maybe a little bit less than that. And I got bad news for you. If the federation get, goes through with their plan, it will that lower that yeah. number will go lower because they're trying to consolidate everything in this registration war that they've uh, um, created. But the truth is, as I understand the business, a hell of a lot better than people think, mm -hmm. uh, and that's probably one of the greatest advantages I have. The other part of this is FIFA is dying to have a football conversation with this country, and they've never had one. We keep talking about what this, well, well, we need to have, continue to have a wonderful relationship with FIFA. We do not have a wonderful, we have a horrible relationship with FIFA. Now that's something that a lot of people don't really understand or are probably confused by me even saying that. The truth is, is that we've never complied. We've done our own thing. And all they've ever tried to do is help. Now, of course, it complicates things when our U.S. government goes after a lot of people who have done things in an inappropriate or an unethical way, yeah. uh, and that creates its own friction. But the truth is, is that bridge needs to be rebuilt. Uh, it is it is not currently uh, functioning properly. From from your conversations or your knowledge, do you feel like FIFA sees the United States as like a missed opportunity right now? Of course. Look, let's face it. When you know when. Here's, here's the reality of, of this. If the United States was awarded the World Cup and Qatar didn't get it, we, we're, Seth Blatter's probably still in office. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens. Nothing. So two things have happened that have changed the course of soccer in this country. One, us not getting the 2022 World Cup and not qualifying for 18. Mm -hmm. They're both fairly bad things, right? Mm -hmm. However... I think that they, we need to look at this not as a blessing in disguise. I'd hate to say that because I, I'm, I would never want to wish for my country not playing in a World Cup. However, this is the opportunity for us to reevaluate, to reassess uh, what parts of the business are working, which aren't, um, where the, where's the money coming from, how are we going to, to reinvest in ourselves. That's the one thing I've never heard from any of the other candidates. We need to reinvest in us. That's what this candidacy is all about. That's what this country should be about. We should be thinking right now to reinvest in, in, in what we can do and, and, and start to realize our potential at the same time as having a structure and a vision. Those things don't exist right now. And that's probably the reason why I'm as frustrated as I am. <laughs> you I, tell I don't. You know what? I'm smiling with you, but I, through this campaign, I smile less, I sleep less, um, I listen more. I think way too much. And one of the things, uh, and Lexi Lawless would be very happy, I no longer wear flip-flops on airplanes. That, that's, <laughs> that's not something that you're allowed to do if you're running for president. But um, all things included, I, I think this whole opportunity, if you want to call it that, has been an opportunity for me to reevaluate how I can help instead of standing back and being a part of the problem and by not doing anything, uh, to really insert myself into the conversation where I can help and stop complaining about it. It's yeah. pretty easy to go on television and just say, oh, he, well, this guy and that guy. And, you know, that's, that's, not yeah. a, that's, not a, that's a function. That's not a, a purpose. You, you've kind of hinted a couple times now, like you can't wear flip-flops on airplanes, you have to act presidential, and you can't, you can't do... And, Everybody that knows yeah. me knows that, I mean, has noticed a change. <laughs> but the, the truth is, when you work in television, and that's a that's a it's a difficult job for one, mm -hmm. and people don't give it enough respect, in my opinion. 
because it's hard to come up with a, a quick thing to say in 15 seconds Absolutely. to get your point across. And sometimes it doesn't come out right, and then you look you look like you you know didn't give put enough thought into the, the process of uh, of what you were trying to say, and or maybe you did. How how could you say that without saying this this and this? Yeah. The truth is that job didn't necessarily serve me well. It it, it put me in a position where I was forced to have a hot take about things. Mm -hmm. It was for, forcing me to to be very critical. Mm -hmm. um, when I, I take no joy in, in saying that's a bad sub or that's a bad yeah, play, yeah. I, I don't, I don't really like throwing rocks at my friends, you know, they, who are who are trying to compete, trying to do something. So it it now is is uh, everything is is I, I finally get my opportunity to be me. Yeah. People that know me as a coach, people that know me as a maybe a director of coaches or someone who is an administrator involved at uh, as a sporting director of a club. Um, they know me as a level-headed thinker, mm -hmm. someone that really doesn't get rattled. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's similar to a, a big game when the world is just, and there's people, and it's just craziness, and then you get a penalty kick. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, now is your time to really lock in and focus, and, and nothing else matters. You have to either, you have to deliver. That's mm -hmm. it. And that's, that's the way this feels. So maybe I was looking at it wrong then. So because I've, I've always kind of pictured you as kind of like the gunslinger. Like right. you kind of just go out and say what's on your mind and you're real and maybe that's how you really are. But I, I'll tell you if you're wrong yeah, or if yeah. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, I will. And I, I don't think that that means I'm a gunslinger. I just think that means I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, an argument with Sunil. Um, this is a couple of months ago. And I had to stop him because I said, excuse me, sir, are you taking credit for me? <laughs> because his point was, is look how much I've done for you. Mm -hmm. And all I could think about was, look at how many roadblocks you put up for me, how much red tape, how many hoops I had to jump through just to make a career happen. Don't you dare take credit for me. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a hard conversation, but yeah. I, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's okay, that's the way you feel. No. I think a, a lot of the, the, the issues that we're going to have in front of us in the upcoming months uh, and years are going to demand real thinkers having real decision-making. Uh, opportunities because if we sit there and we all talk and then we leave the room and and nothing and nobody really says what was on their mind yeah nothing gets done I think that's a a perfect way to transition into the fact that you've known Sunil for a long time and, and we talked a little bit about this before and, and you've known Sunil throughout almost your entire playing career yep. uh, and you've seen the good things that US soccer has done right. and you also been part of some unfortunate events with mm -hmm. US soccer what have you maybe picked up from Sunil or others that have been involved with U.S. soccer along the way that you're either using in your campaign or you plan to change in the future? What are maybe some little tidbits? It's, it's kind of like when you, have a, when you go through a process as a player and you've had a bunch of managers. What you've had is an opportunity to see 20-some-odd people do it differently, mm -hmm. and it's an art. And how some people back out of tough conversations, and some people overreact in in pressure situations. Mm -hmm. And you 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 kind of evaluate. And when you when you actually get that opportunity to be a manager, you take some of the good out of each one of them, and then you, you really try to leave the bad over there. I, I would never do that, or I, I I'm not going to lie to people. Or I if 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 I, my my players always know where they stand with me, mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. There's never a guy that, that gets you know, and I and I always would say that I, the one thing I was always trying to prevent with my teams or people that worked with me or for me or whatever 
is that I don't want them getting in their car and talking to their steering wheel. We do that. Mm -hmm. We do that. We have mm -hmm. these conversations with ourselves when we didn't handle the, the situation the way we wanted to. That's just not the kind of person I am. I'm very good at recognizing uh, when somebody has a problem and extracting, okay, let me, I, let me have it. Let me give it to me. Let me figure out what, how I can help as opposed to what the hell's wrong with him today? You know, and that's just not the way uh, I do things. Yeah. So when you look at Sunil and you look at being a player and, and, and we've, we as a federation have only known one way. That doesn't mean it's right. Mm -hmm. The way Sunil does things is very deliberate. And um, we've, we can tease him for being, you know, uh, economics professor, and we could go the whole. I the, almost, I almost went we to could an almost econ go class. The, no, I almost went to an econ class when I was in New York. I okay. was like, oh, am I just going to show up and take take well, econ one hundred and one ideals? <laughs> I, look, I get. It. I almost went there for his class. I think you could you could draw a lot of parallels um, to his his idea mm -hmm. of leadership, mm -hmm. and what that means is there's a lot of fragmentation everywhere. Yep. yep. Everywhere, and that doesn't what, is that lack of vision? Is that lack of leadership? Probably. So when you ask me what I've learned from him, it's basically that I don't think we've ever really had anybody mm -hmm. at the, sitting at, at the helm of, of the Federation who's been able to establish a vision, have a plan, and allow us to, to all get on the same page as yeah. a co cohesive unit, as a, as a country, that, which is supposed to be the United States. We've, had, we've never had unity. And that's where my brain was actually going right now, was that did, did Sunil learn what he's doing from somebody else before him? Because it kind of seems like there was no real difference between him and maybe others, or it's and I'm I'm not as well versed in in well I look, pre Sunil. I I don't remember anything but Sunil. Yeah. So uh, as far I was 16 years old when I met him, um, and he's he's a it's a it's an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, and and the relationships that he had along the way, some of them are a little, you know, we go back to the Chuck Blazer days and the early days of Connecticut, and mm -hmm. that's that's where it all started. Yeah. Um, some of the accusations or the things that people have said about him along the way, his, his affiliations and his, his, the way he addressed the, uh, the job. Um, we used to jokingly say Major League Soccer stood for more or less Sunil. That was our, <laughs> our joke. We used to, because he had his hands in everything. Yeah. And he's a micromanager. And I don't believe that that's the right way to do business. I've mm -hmm. never believed that. And when I have a team, I have assistant coaches. When I have, when I'm a sporting director, I try and hire the most, the, the, the most qualified mm -hmm. and the smartest people to do specific jobs. Mm -hmm. This job, if it is, we're going to call it a job with, as president, is no different. Yeah, it's building a team of people that are going to make the whole thing better. It's not one person unilaterally deciding yeah. what's right or what's wrong. That that kind of brings up an interesting question then. Who, who is part of your team or who would you envision being part of your team? And what happens to the existing team? So what happens to a Dan Flynn or what happens to a Don Garber or the existing U.S. board when a new president is elected? It's, it's an interesting conversation, you know, because that board, you, you serve the board. That's yeah. what people need to understand. Um, it, you don't really have, the president certainly doesn't have as much power as people assume that they do. It, it's only because of the way that Sneil has addressed the job. And I think that's why there's a lot of backlash uh, from Carlos Cordero, uh, maybe even Donna Shalala or some of the other uh, members of the board who felt that they didn't have a voice because mm -hmm. he was he was making all the decisions himself. Yeah, um, your job is to work with the board and to 
have influence and soccer knowledge to help uh, the federation uh, do what it's supposed to be doing is that serve uh, um, everyone that plays soccer in this country yeah. and to try and you know facilitate games and to, to, to be uh, a guidance manual if you will right now we're just dictating and mandating yeah. and it's not being received that well there's a lot of disenfranchised people out there because they feel that they can do more but they're being told to do less uh, and the Federation's standpoint on that is we, we can handle this. Yeah. And when you work when you work with Dan Flynn is probably um, a guy that is totally and completely uh, undervalued. Uh, what he has been able to do, he's a real true soccer man. For the most part, he's unknown. Yeah. Well, he's until until it's time to go in front of a you know a, a grand jury and and, and defend our federation. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand why Sunil Galati didn't represent our federation. Mm -hmm. If we want to talk about transparency, that was a pretty good opportunity to, to prove it. Mm -hmm. um, and I certainly would never put our federation in a situation where we had to answer questions like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that I would be, um, you know, blowing a whistle on everybody, but yeah. th but the truth is, y you do things in an ethical way. Yeah. And when something is 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 happening right under right underneath you, mm -hmm. uh, it is your duty. Uh, to make the authorities aware of it, and I, I, I felt that we're getting off tang on a tangent there. But <laughs> with, as far as Dan Flynn's uh, concerned, he's done a great job. Um, I think even if he were to uh, move away from that position, uh, that would be a um, something that he would probably entertain the idea of a transition period. Mm -hmm. But there are plenty of people, very smart people, that would um, that I would I would really entertain the idea of bringing him into. Uh, into the fold. These are people that run foundations. These are people that run big companies. These are people that are currently presidents of soccer clubs. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a couple of people that I thought about abroad um, who would be would be wonderful to be sitting on our committee or, or possibly uh, uh, on our board. But those aren't decisions that I get to unilaterally make. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the as a president, the president would would do his best uh, to bring in the best team of people. Uh, to surround himself with um, with the people who are going to be able to help make soccer better in this country, and you can't expect to be everywhere. You can't. You can't. We've we've been operating under the assumption that the president needs to, to do everything. That's that's not how this works. There's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity there for us to do things uh, through teamwork uh, and do it right. Yeah. I want to kind of switch gears, and I want to talk about something that. I've kind of tried to look into and I've tried to shine a light on it, but I think it's still kind of being overlooked is the, the whole nomination process. <laughs> and and if I... Well, okay, we're going to be honest about this. Okay, yeah. we're gonna, I'm just going to be honest. That's what I want. So, um, And this is what people don't know. The nomination process was decided, voted on in February. Um, what that means is a lot of the state associations and all the people that would vote on a measure like this were all brought out to Hawaii. Uh, for a couple of days, and they, they, nice they voted. It's, it's nice. <laughs> but they voted on some stuff. And one of the things they voted on was the term of the next president, which Sunil uh, conducted this vote himself, um, from what I'm told. Now, the nomination process was then announced and voted upon. And what that meant was it was brand new. Uh, not only have we, uh, in 2016, integrated a new device that we vote on, which is owned by the Federation that 
your state association chart to push a button and then that vote is supposed to register with no third party um, confirmation of who you voted for. So you can take that any direction you want. <laughs> that's, that's one of the, but the nomination process meant that you had to get state associations to and or organizations and, or an officer from an existing um, uh, organization or, and or committee to nominate you. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been able to achieve that through state associations mainly, and there are several individuals who are uh, a part of the nomination process who have said that they will nominate uh, this campaign. But for political reasons, we're going to uh, we're going to wait on that. Problem is, is that that decision was made in February. Mr. Galati was the only one aware of it. He sent a hundred and some odd letters out to every single state association, understanding that the process and the the addendum on the end of that was that in the event that one state association would uh, nominate two or endorse two candidates, that they would nullify each other. So Mr. Galati, as our president, was at an enormous advantage because he sent letters to everybody before any of the other candidates were aware of the process itself. It wasn't announced until September. If you don't think that that's cheating, and you, and and if you want to put another word on it, then then whatever. Yeah. The reality is is that since then, they've had to essentially go through a rescinding process, meaning that the board of directors uh, of the United States Soccer Federation recognized the flaw and made a, a, an amendment to essentially the bylaws, which allowed Carlos Cordero to simply have the opportunity to find nominations because mm -hmm. at, at that point, there weren't a whole lot left. From what I understand, Mr. Galati achieved, a lot of people just got the letter and signed it and sent it back. Before having, this is way before the Trinidad game. This yeah. is this is way before the nomination yeah. process was even announced. So, so it was just business as usual for. Well, basically what he was trying to do is to lock everybody else out. Yep. Um, and he was unable to achieve that. Now this, this bylaw, the, the bylaws being changed now allows other candidates to, uh, as of tomorrow, by the way, to, if the in the event that someone has rescinded their nomination, and then I've been aware of a couple of state associations and organizations that have rescinded their nomination for Mr. Galati, mm. um, you are now allowed to talk to them about getting their nomination. So um, there's a lot of candidates in this um, uh, election process or the nomination who have yet to achieve a nomination, which uh, is in part because Mr. Galati was way ahead of the game. Yeah. So it wasn't a very fair process. And so you, were, you were also ahead of the game, too. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that you didn't wait until Trinidad and Tobago or until the day after Trinidad and Tobago to actually start your process. Correct. You started before that. I actually informed uh, Kyle Martino that I would be running um, about three and a half weeks prior to uh, the game. Um, and he told me that no one can beat Sunil and I'm taking a knife to a bazooka fight. So when I saw his name enter the, the fray, I was, I was a little confused by that. Well, but if you're bringing a knife, what's Kyle bringing? I, I don't, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I, I, I didn't know what that meant. But um, I, I think that, that there are a lot of opportunists, uh, opportunists who have looked at this and mm -hmm. said, here it is. Mm -hmm. Steve Gans, to his credit, uh, it was, was ahead of the game, as was Paul LaPointe. Both yeah. of those gentlemen recognized that um, or felt you know that, that that there was a need for change, so they don't fall into the opportunistic category. They fall into the uh, patriot category. Yeah. So.
Absolutely. I'm, I'm proud of both of them. I'm proud to know them. They're good people. Yeah, no, and, and I see some of Paul's ideas, and, and you can tell he has great intentions. Yep. It's just, I, uh, sorry, Paul, I, I just don't feel like he has the, the, the right plans, the right, the right ideas. It's, Although he has great intentions, and, and I'm sure he's a great human being. He is. Yeah. Great guy. We, he actually came out to Orlando, um, yeah. and instead of shunning him, I, you know, I just told him, I, I invited him over to the hotel. Cool. We went to the game together. That's cool. Um, he, uh, we went to the appearance that, that I was scheduled to do for, um, for Budweiser. Mm-hmm. which was a lot of fun, and I, and I got to know him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, a lot of that enthusiasm and those ideals are great. Uh, I think having an understanding of every facet of soccer is imperative. We've assumed that this is all about the business, mm-hmm. um, which it really isn't. It's about the product right now, mm-hmm. and we've failed to focus on that. So this isn't about Paul or, or Steve, and Steve actually, if you talk to him, um, will tell you that he, he, he believes that he can... He can uh, can facilitate change at that level, but there there are levels to it uh, of understanding of the game, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I don't think that any of the other candidates are on the same level. In the event that you do win the presidency, I, or if you don't win the, pre- the presidency, would you entertain the idea of working with them in oh, some yeah. capacity? Oh yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I think, um, and I'll say this openly about Steve Gans, um, I think his enthusiasm, his knowledge, uh, his... Um, the fact that he was the first in uh, it is, is commendable, mm-hmm. and, and it demands, you know, that's brave. That's, that's the kind of courage you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to him, getting to know him, mm-hmm. because that's a guy who um, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that he's a lawyer, and we have, <laughs> we have some bylaws that need to be cleaned yeah. up. It wouldn't be yeah. a, a bad idea to have that guy on your team. But... Um, I, and look, and if, if it really was vice versa, then, then I would entertain that idea as well. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I get upset about right now is I see the greatest opportunity in front of us right now for selfish reasons. If I, let's say I wasn't running for president. The one thing that I would want to do more than anything is coach this Olympic team. This Olympic team that we have, that the potential to have, is, is our golden era. This is a group of kids mm-hmm. that, that can really do something great. Mm-hmm. And maybe Christian Pulisic, I'm sorry, buddy, you didn't get to go to a World Cup, but we should figure out a way to make that Olympics yeah. something special for him. Not just all for him, but, uh, you know, clearly a, a, a talent that the world needs to be more acquainted with before yeah. the end of this uh, cycle. There's something that, that um, Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard were saying yesterday, I think it was yesterday, um, about the the England youth national program right now, and they're winning titles as right. as as a youth team, and and these guys are becoming very familiar with each other, at ages 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, and they feel like that was missing from their generation. They didn't they weren't yeah. winning those titles, and they weren't a cohesive group when they were going through. It was a different through. culture. It was, it was a, a different. different it, it was different culture. Yeah. I mean, it, look, and and there wasn't a lot of discipline in yep. England, you know, when those guys were going through that process. Yep. They, if they don't admit that, then they're lying. No, they 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 actually did a pretty good tell all. On, yeah. on BT Sport, so you know, and anybody, and look, I was on several trials in England, and I was, I, I could never figure out a way to get that to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Sheffield Wednesday or Charlton uh, and Bolton on one occasion. Mm-hmm. Sam Allendice, I always say his name wrong, Allendice, but um, the the truth is, is that it was a different time. Yeah, right. And I think what they've brought into, because of the EPL, because of the 
the mechanisms that now exist and the money involved, they're able to really do what we should be doing, yeah. is to figure out what are our strengths. Yeah. I mean, the, the Germans did it better than anybody. They referenced it's, that too. They basically yeah. said, look, we, why are we bringing a bunch of foreigners or Africans or the, the, that's what those academies look like mm -hmm. back at Bayern Munich in, you know, this is about 12, 13 years ago. Now, what they said is we need to invest in German players. And they, they did a fantastic job after they failed at the Euros to realize that, okay, from second division to first division, our job is to go find the talent, and we need to get on the same page here. Hmm. The league's job is to develop players to make the transition to the, uh, our national team and to create our best 11. Um, they did it better than anybody, and that's why they're world champions right now, because they're all on the same page. We're, us, we're reading different books. Yeah. And I think what, what the, those three guys were talking about yesterday, and they, they referenced Spain as well, they referenced Spain and Germany, was that those guys, they figured it out kind of with the youth national programs, right. and they've carried that success to the senior team. So those guys have, right. were used to winning trophies at 17, right. 20, 23. And we've missed those opportunities here in the United States. We have, we've missed two we Olympic cycles. We were there, though. If you really think about it, you know, Clive Charles, who is a mentor of mine, he unfortunately passed away a while ago. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate to have been coached by Clive, um, or in, or and Peter Novak for 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 that. Mm -hmm. Those were the two coaches that had Olympic success, mm -hmm. right? Those were the ones that were able to, to the young impressionable kids and get them to play like pros. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think in Australia was in Australia with um, Clive came in fourth. And I remember that that cycle of players, and then of Is course that late '90s. I think no it must have been early 2000. Okay. Yeah, I, don't, I can't really. Okay. It was a 2000. 2000? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Clive passed away in, in 01, I think, yeah, so it had to be 2000. But, they, but what I'm trying to get at there is that with all of our resources and all of our, uh, you know, ideas on what development is supposed to look like, we, we should be doing much better at the U-20s and much yeah. better at the Olympic level. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to keep you here all day, so I'm gonna, I want you to talk about one major... One major topic that I have. Promotion relegation. No, no we're, we've on. already hit on that. We've already hit on that. Have we? Yeah. I don't think, look, let's go through it real quick because yeah. I think a lot of people want to <laughs> understand what exactly it means. And I, I, I will say this, as I'm a huge advocate of it because it makes the competition better. Absolutely. Uh, I think we understand that. We, we also understand that we do a different form of business in this country, so there's a fear factor there. But I think... And I've had the opportunity to sit with a lot of the owners in, the, in our league. I'm really curious what your conversation is like with Don Garber, what your relationship is like with Don Garber. Because if you're an advocate for promotion relegation, Garber, that's obviously going to put you at odds with of Don course, Garber. Of course, but I, I don't think, you know, I don't think Don Garber's going to be the, our commissioner forever, one. Uh, two, I think that his legacy uh, needs to be will be protected in the sense that this is a guy who take, took it from almost closing our doors to, yeah. to where we are today. Yeah. So he, he deserves a, an immense amount of respect uh, for running a business. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the truth is is that, that they're going to protect what they've created. Yeah. Bringing different ideas or a, an idea that exists in the rest of the world and we've decided to look away from that is... It's important to keep highlighting, by the way. Well, it's yeah. just it's a reality. Um, I think this is an educational process. When our owners actually understand what promotion and relegation entails. Mm -hmm. If there is the mechanisms and the parachutes that are put into place that allow people not to lose as much money as they're losing now. Yeah. Even by getting relegated, they will lose less than or even make money. Make money. And they don't understand that. So that explanation is a huge component of this. Yeah. I mean, look at what's just happened at Columbus. It, 
breaks my heart. I mean, I knew Lamar Hunt not as well as you know I I would have liked, but to to just just the whole thing uh, to 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 have someone who gave so much and was such a visionary to the to the sport um, to have the first guy to build the stadium. Mm -hmm. Okay, now we don't like it because it's not good enough. They created a culture around yeah. in, in in Columbus, and and now they're saying that it, just because if it's a it's a bad deal on the stadium side where they can't figure out the lease, that that's a reason to to just up and move to Austin. It, it breaks my heart for the uh, save the crew folks. I, I feel for you. I, I don't know, I don't know if, if uh, how much the president can help um, in February, but there's got to be a, 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 a we gotta, we got to rethink that. It can't, you know, and if you're Don Garber, for example, and we really are going to make that NFL analogy, mm -hmm. you know, those guys are going to laugh at him. Yeah. They're going to say, well, Columbus, I just had to move two teams to L.A. You have no idea how hard this is. Yeah. I got San Diego yelling at me. So I understand um, that element of business, yeah. but still, I, I think that this is where you realize that these aren't clubs. These are franchises. And it sets a horrible precedent to the rest of the league when they realize, wait, hold on, you can pull the rug out from underneath us at any point. Any point. And that's the reality that they need to be to understand. And it, once you go through that explanation process of what is a club, what is a franchise, what is promotion and relegation, and what are we doing now? And I'm relying on the intelligence of our owners. I think they're going to get it. Have you had those conversations yet? A couple of them, yeah. I, I'm supposed to keep those to myself, but um, <laughs> I was very encouraged. Because these are businessmen, mm -hmm. and they want to know if they can do their business better. And I've, uh, let's just say that I was, uh, I'm still frustrated, but I'm encouraged, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Is there anything about those, the conversations that you've had, obviously, with, with owners, with Don Garber, Sunil, the youth, the adult associations, yeah. is, is there anything that you've kind of picked up along the way that scares you about this position? Um, fear isn't something that you you you, you just got to be relentless, and and relentless means to always do the right thing, and logic usually prevails. So in in a situation that um, if I'm afraid of anything, is that there would be this idea that it's okay to be married to mediocrity. I don't think that's American. I don't think that should define us right now. Our country has way too much potential. We've never tapped into it. We've been told, oh, no, no, it's okay. We'll, we'll qualify for the World Cup and everything will be all right. Everybody will make their money and then, say, well, okay, so we got knocked out in the 16th, so what? It's okay. No, it's not okay. Yeah. And I, I, I believe that, that true to our nature as Americans, we can challenge ourselves. We can make the competition better and this country can be far better far better than what they are now if we get cooperation. So to answer your question, I, the only thing that I fear is that I fear greed. I fear that people would, would be so married to the idea that this makes sense to them that they can't see the bigger picture and realize that this makes sense for us. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the Federation from the adults to the youth to the pros, we are fragmented. We are not on the same page. My job will be to bring us together, to redefine our we, and as I said before, uh, to essentially reinvest in us.
This is about us. This is not about us asking the Netherlands or Belgium to tell us how to play football. Mm -hmm. That's not where we are. We have enough knowledge. We've accumulated enough experience now to do this on our own. I feel like it's like, you know, it's like the, the parent who thinks that they're going to hold on to that steering wheel until yep. that kid's 20. I mean, let go, you know, yep. just get out of the car. Yep. It's time, time to let us drive. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, all right, a couple, couple more, maybe like quick questions. Okay. We should kind do of, rapid fire. Yeah, let's do rapid fire. Um, let's see. What candidate are you most afraid of? I'm not afraid of anybody. I, I'm afraid of what might happen if they get elected. That we would continue to do things the way we do things. I, I don't think that that's fair to anybody. I don't think. I think this country has demonstrated its need for change, and I'm very proud to be to represent change. What are you promising American fans? To feel like this is that they're a part of it. You know, you're not going to be. I want us all to feel that that when we actually win something, that we all contributed. That when you you sing that song, we believe that we you actually believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I want to believe it. That's I been my make, biggest gripe with that song. Oh God! Do you really believe it? Is it really? Is yeah. like, it's almost like I believe that we might win. You yeah. know, it's it's not. It, I want us to to be American, and I I will promise you that we will have an identity. We will understand exactly what we were doing at all times. There'll be cohesion. There'll be cooperation. Well, I can't promise cooperation, but I can promise, <laughs> I can promise knowing uh, we will know what we're, what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, who have you gotten support from that has maybe surprised you? Or who, who maybe has helped you a lot along the way that... The old guard. Anyone specific? Well, I mean, some, you know, I, I, some of the old... I can't get specific. Yeah. Because it's politics. But um, when, you, when you start going through the process of who can help, hmm. I go to people who have experience. I go to people that are, have, have real, have, have lived this and understand it uh, to help me understand it better. I don't, I don't profess to know all the answers. I'm going to have to have uh, some really strong characters and, you know, I, I, executives at, at big companies. Um, the guy that wrote the Champions League manual is a friend of mine. We talk all the time. The, the People that, that, that understand how um, non-for-profits work. Uh, hedge fund. You know, it's the, yeah, we we, yeah, we yeah, got to yeah. go there. Yeah, I mean, well, you have to talk about the big money and you have to talk about the television side of things. I mean, I'm very blessed that I, I can go in and, and sit with some of the big execs at, at Fox and with uh, uh, ESPN and ask the right questions. Because in, in those negotiations, they, they don't always go the way you think they do. Yeah. And those partnerships aren't really partnerships. They they need to be better. So, um, those of I've I've had a unique life experience. You know, like I can call some of the, the guys from my era, for example, that I played in Germany, in France, uh, Spain. Um, I haven't called Franz Beckenbauer yet, but I think I might. Yeah, that would be a good one. <laughs> but I, I I think I, I think that that's that's all part of it. I have to have not a perfect grasp, but a, but a really good understanding of what's in front of me. And I can only do that through the experiences of others. Right, one with this last question. What do you want people to know about either you or this process, the future? What's, what's one thing that maybe hasn't gotten out there from, from you yet? I'm relentless and I'm dedicated and I'm not going to stop until this country is what it's supposed to be. 
I, I, I think when you, when you make a decision like this, let's face it, because of the powers that be, this is occupational suicide. <laughs> That's what this is. Yeah. The, I have, the establishment will never let this go. So I have no choice. Yeah. I have no choice but to follow through. You're all in. It's, and I'm not bluffing. So I know what my hand says. And I am all in. So that's, that's what you need to know. I'm here to make our federation finally be what it was always supposed to be. And that's to serve the people of this country, not the other way around. You seem like a glass half full kind of guy, so. Uh, this glass is full. We, <laughs> we just can't see half the water. Right? I like it. All right, well, thank Enjoy you, Eric. Mike. I appreciate it. Always. All right. Did you want to promote yourself, the, the Croatian yeah, guy? Well, we can do that later. Oh, I guess for the live stream. And follow me at that Croatian guy. Um, and you can check out more information on 343coaching.com. So that's number 343coaching, all spelled out. It's on your shirt. It's on my shirt. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Actually, we're getting ready to sell shirts, too. We're so. going gonna to watch, uh, <laughs> watch some TV. You can click us off now, Nick. <laughs>